and thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And this week we're going to be talking really just about Mars. Right now, it's, uh, it's at its brightest. I think it's for the next four days or so. It's going to be at its very brightest that, uh, that we'll be able to see it. And that's because we're passing a point where Mars has been in opposition and now it's at its closest point, or I think it's brightest point to Earth, its highest magnitude in its series. And so we thought right. that was a good point to uh, to bring up and to talk about and to do kind of a, an episode that's all about um, the motion of Mars that people have been seeing and that, that we've been observing um, through the night sky over the past month. And then what motion is going to continue for the next month. It's cool how we can kind of forecast it and how it's so, you know, lockstep and the amount of time that it takes to do these certain types of motions and patterns that have been observed for hundreds of years, thousands of years now. Yeah, it's really interesting how we're able to uh, predict it really to the day. Or yeah. To mark on your calendar. Yeah, it's, out it's, really, it's, it's really specific, the timing of, uh, of these progressions, and they don't seem to be that random. Um, what I understand is, um, is, yeah, if you've been looking up in the night sky, and if you've been listening to uh, us, um, talk on and on about Mars's upcoming retrograde motion in the spring. I think we talked about it even on our first episode. We have made it to that date in the year and it's pretty exciting. Mars is at its very brightest. It was at its brightest last night, I think at 2 a.m. or something might be what it says. But but effectively what I understood is that really for for the whole week long period surrounding it, it's effectively the same brightness. That's what, I was, that's what I was reading also for the next week or so. It's supposed to be in about the same position. Yeah, that's that's a bit of what I understood also. Um, and it's really exciting. So so on June 20th is when Mars passed its point of opposition, which is when it would rise on the horizon line as the you sun is May. setting. Did I say June? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been thinking in, in uh, the Into future the already. Future. Uh, yeah, May 30th was the date that Mars was at its brightest. May 20th was the date that Mars was at opposition to us. So it was like a little bit different. Right. And uh, I'm not sure quite how that goes. I think just because it's in retrograde right now that the, the brightest the brightest moment might be different than the point that it's, or the closest that Mars will get to us in its path might be different than the point that it's at opposition. Right. I don't totally understand that part of its motion. It's kind of interesting. Um, but it's really exciting though. And we had a great time. We uh, for Memorial day weekend. And that's a fortunate thing about this is see a lot of the times, maybe one of these retrograde motions might happen in the winter, you know, when it's not, uh, really something that we can observe very well. Right. But right now we have the very beginning of summertime, really in the Northwest, um, at the start of Memorial day weekend, you can go out and you can look up into Scorpio and a, a technically Libra when we look up at Mars and see, you know, a really bright object in the sky that really outshines most other things around it. There's Saturn right next to it, which is also quite bright, but Mars is definitely magnitudes more bright or more significant in the sky. And then Jupiter, uh, you know, is, is a few constellations away, but is still really a, a strong uh, element in that part of the sky. It is. It's amazing how bright Mars is. Isn't it? It really jumps out. Yeah. You notice it. And it really lights the sky with all three of these planets, these bright planets up in the sky right now. When we were out in Eastern Oregon, we could really see how lit the sky was and how much contrast or silhouetting we could see from the mountains in the distance. 
Yeah, it was really interesting. And if you were to imagine a real dark night, we wouldn't really be able to see that sort of stuff. But what we can see is a contrast just from the light cast in the sky by the stars, which I always think is a really cool part of it. Yeah, I thought it was really cool too because we didn't have the moon up for a long time, but it was very bright between or after after sunset and it had gotten Yeah. Dark. Yeah, the moon, uh, the moon is past its full point. It's going back down to a new moon, I think, in the next few days. And it, I think it was coming up in Aquarius sometime around 2 or 3 a.m., um, and so that means that we had really dark skies for the whole first segment of the night. And in that location in Oregon, a dark sky is really great. A dark, clear sky is is just a really interesting um, thing out there because you, there's so little light pollution that you can really make out so many more things or so many more um, fine details in the constellations that you're not, not able to see yeah. in, uh, in the, the light pollution of city limits it's, as it goes. It's really very different. Isn't it's it different? actually hard. It's hard. If you're used to looking at constellations from your city, there's a, there's a lot less in the sky that you really yeah. are able to pick yeah. up on. And then uh, I was really noticing it on our camping trip. Oh, there yeah. are just so many more layers that you can see of the stars and there's just a lot more in the constellation that you're yeah. than you're really used to looking at or than I'm really used to looking at. Yeah. And you kind of have to refine yourself. I think that's really true. And it's interesting how that is. I think as your your mind kind of creates the the familiarity of the the shape or the landmark that you're yeah. looking for. And you know, the the conversation about light pollution is sort of interesting too, because there are a few factors in it. And a few of them aren't really based on light pollution per se, but really more of atmospheric condition that you're in uh, that keeps you from seeing the the bright, crisp part of the stars. You know, I think about um, about people living on the coast a lot or at low elevations, sea level, let's say. You really get dimmer stars or a dimmer view of things in that area, I, uh, which I'm not quite sure of the reason a lot of the time, but it isn't always necessarily due to light pollution, but like what we get out in the mountains when we're really quite far away from a lot of things, then, uh, then we're able to see just how crisp and bright and dark that night sky can be. Um, but I think out over the ocean or there's just, there's too much water content. And I think you get, I think, I think you get dimmer stars, especially at lower elevations. That's why I think a lot of the observatories are put up high Oh, sure. On top of mountains, so that uh, that they're able to get away from a lot of those atmospheric problems that uh, that decrease the visibility of different stars. Light pollution definitely the number one part of that. But you know, even in a dark spot here in Eugene, you're not going to be able to see the depth or the the number of stars down into the the low magnitudes, the distant, the really dim stars that are difficult to find, or the dim. Uh, kind of fine features of constellations, those are going to be really hard to see unless you're out somewhere as a big sky country, something that's real dark and flat and pretty dry above you so that you can get uh, some clear, crisp air to do some observations under. But it was great. Out in Eastern Oregon, it was so fun to, uh, to get to hang out there and uh, watch the Milky Way rise up over the horizon line, over the mountain, in the east of us. That was really cool. That was really cool. Watching Vega come up at, at uh, sunset or watching it appear, I guess, after uh, twilight um, kind of took over. It was up in the sky just a little bit. And I think at the time, like this is a cool part of the year because you can see Vega and Arcturus and Spica all at the same time, right. which is sort of three of those seasonal stars that we had talked about before that kind of earmark certain seasons coming on. So we see Vega coming up in the uh, the eastern sky 
kind of curling up out of the northeast for us here. And where that's kind of a, a marking. It's a star that kind of indicates the oncoming change of the season into summertime. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's a small thing. Like Arcturus bringing on the springtime or Capella bringing on fall, you know, as it starts to rise up in the late nights in the beginning of September and October, this seems to be kind of an indicator um, of, you know, just the changing seasons that yeah, are coming through. It's, it's really cool. cool that there are those little markers that you can look for in the stars that kind of tell you a step is changing. Yeah. I think, I think it's really cool. I like that kind of progression of, of the year, watching how things like that, you know, move on and change throughout the year. But as we were observing Mars out there, it was really cool. It was, up i mean really just as right after the sun had gone yeah, down you could really, really see it and look out and the interesting thing about observing planets we might have talked about this um but uh, the interesting thing about observing planets is so you know like we were just talking about with light pollution and and atmospheric conditions and how much moisture is in the air this kind of is an interesting point so you know the twinkling that we see in stars right, yeah so you see stars twinkle but the interesting thing is you don't see planets twinkle and there's a reason for it, and it's it's fairly obvious, but the idea is that the starlight is coming from light years and light years away. It's really just a pinpoint of light that's coming through, and it's really uninterrupted for millions of miles, trillions of miles, hundreds of light years. It's able to transit across the universe to the Earth, but as soon as it hits the Earth's atmosphere, then it shakes those photons around, and that's why we're able to see sort of this shift like when there's ripples on top of water and you're looking at the rocks underneath, how mm -hmm. it sort of moves around a little bit on you. Yeah. It's that same kind of idea, but just with the oxygen in our atmosphere. And so it moves the starlight around a little bit. And that's why we observe it to twinkle as it kind of comes in and out or gains and lessens itself as it goes through what would basically be like a prism of oxygen or water. That's really Some kind of vapor. So that's why we see stars twinkle. And we see stars twinkle more when, I don't know if it would be the dew point is higher or a humidity level is higher, but essentially when we have more moisture, more water in the atmosphere, if I understand right. And this moisture, I think, is like what is causing the distortion as it moves over. Or hot and cold. Hot and cold can change. Uh, just like the convection currents can also make those kind of changes. Like when you see heat waves rising, have you ever seen that? Like yeah, the shadows of heat waves ri rising against a wall or something yeah, in the I've summertime. Yeah, I've seen um, the heater a, in the morning. It's a really yeah, it's a weird effect. How we can see that kind of convection change happening, and that convection change, that that movement of the air, is enough to sort of move those photons around enough that we see these twinkling. And so, if we do see twinkling in stars, what we where well, <laughs> excuse me, where we will not see it is in the planets. So when we look up to Mars in the night sky or Saturn or Jupiter, like we have up tonight, you won't see those planets twinkle because that is actual reflected light from our sun. So it's a physical surface of light that is, that is receiving light from another source. Okay. Does that make sense? So we're actually yeah. looking at physical space reflecting light instead of originally emitting the light from a right. really distant source. That's really interesting. I think I remember you explaining this to me uh, a little while back. And right, yeah. It's, you're right. It does. It makes sense. Yeah. But it's not, I hadn't really thought about it. No, it is or, interesting. And that's a, that's a way that if you're not sure 
of a, of a if something is a planet or not, but I, I guess right. that's a way that you can tell. I was gonna um, say, yeah, good way to test it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you're looking at Jupiter or yeah. just a star. I think that's one of the the simple techniques to try and figure out if you're looking at a planet or not is uh, is to see if it's twinkling or not. Like a lot of people confuse, let's say Sirius, one of the bright stars, uh, for Venus. Oh, yeah. Or for for one of the other things, if it's up in the morning or up in the evening, or or just if people aren't aren't aware of what Venus might be like, you know. But that star often, for most people observing it, won't twinkle. But if it is twinkling, it is interesting that that's you know something that notes that it's not a planet, it's not reflecting physical light, but it's just a point of light light years away from us that's yeah. kind of transmitting it to us. That's a really good star watching tip. It's a it's an alright one. I think it works pretty well. It's helped me out a few times to figure out what something was or if it was if that was the planet because see there's been a lot of times where if if you don't have the internet as a constant resource for you to check your your facts or check your positions on where something is not that it makes it too easy to do sky watching but there is a a more learned technique of understanding what planet is what after a while of not seeing it ways that you can or i guess characteristics of the planet like mars is really red oh, that might yeah. be a good way you can tell that from venus which seems to show up really green or yellow green in the sky and stays to a certain area and so there's these characteristic differences between these planets that we can start to delineate what's a planet what's not a planet there's been years ago where where saturn wasn't as bright in its representation in the night sky as it is right now when it's close to opposition and it was much dimmer in the sky and you really couldn't identify it separate from the stars around it in a constellation you know clearly right like it wasn't Mm -hmm. obviously like wow look at that that's saturn yeah so i guess uh at the time like what we were able to do is sort of look around and we were able to see just sort of by shape and characteristic of that object in the sky that it wasn't one of the stars that was there or that it wasn't part of a constellation that I would remember being there. And you can kind of figure out by deduction that it's Saturn or that it's not or that it's Mars. Sometimes I've been confused. I'm sure I have. It's really, uh, it's really interesting noticing the little characteristics that you start to pick up on or become familiar with. I've noticed it a lot just this year. I've, I've really noticed the colors of the planets a lot more. Yeah. Which I did notice before I could tell that Mars was red. It was more red than the other ones. Yeah. But I, I just know it now. Right. And it's really interesting how that starts to happen. Yeah. There's a level of familiarity that you can get over time. Like Mercury, I think shows up pretty red in the sky. And at some points in the year, like maybe earlier this year in February, when we had all five planets up at the same time and Mars right now is very bright. But at that time, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, it was gaining in magnitude every day. It was dropping to like a two negative 2.5 magnitude position. Maybe that's close to what it is now. Earlier in the year, it was really much dimmer. So it might be trickier to kind of tell Mercury and Mars apart because they both kind of show up red in the yeah. night sky. But there's just, there's ways to be able to do, or there's ways to discern like which location or how sure. how the planets are aligned. I guess a lot of that goes back to looking at a chart and trying to understand where <laughs> things are. If you don't keep up with it for a while, you you could you can I mean you can lose some track of it yeah. but it's something that you you can kind of look up and note and figure out what things are in the sky and, and you know what's going on but there's some interesting stuff going on with Mars 
it's going in it's in retrograde right now right. i thought that was a big thing that we should talk about it which is which is pretty cool uh it happens every two years if i understand yeah, right. that's so what, you what i was at? reading too yeah we'll see it again in 2018 yeah it's interesting so do you remember this was interesting to me i was, I was thinking back to this do you remember uh back in 2014 two years ago in the past from now right do you remember um when we were out in the alvor desert and we were looking out above scorpios it was starting to set in early september in the evening but we could see mars and saturn out there i do remember that yeah and so now we look at their position which has also come back really quite close to where it was before do you remember yeah, yeah which is interesting and really saturn has stayed in almost the same spot saturn's in a in prograde right now well in most ways it's i think at this moment it's in retrograde but it's a small position in retrograde it'll continue on its path though moving back um, from virgo into libra and then now it's in scorpio it'll continue to move in prograde motion back to sagittarius and then capricorn and aquarius and it'll move through um over the next many years really <laughs> i think it's a, i think it's 27 years that's probably not the same cycle for us but but uh, I think that's its orbital path okay. as it is. But uh, it takes a period of time, a couple years though, for it to, to kind of move backward in its position in the sky relative to what we see in the night um, back to the same position. So it was in, I think, Libra last time we saw it in 2014. And from that time, it's really only moved back a small amount into, into Scorpio where we see it tonight, Right. which is really interesting. And now we see Mars in Scorpio and we see... Uh, yeah, the two of them together. We also see Mars in retrograde doing this uh, this motion. And what I thought was really interesting is that two years ago, and you'll have to follow the dates with me a little bit, but two years ago, there's a bit of a cycle that we can kind of see as it unravels. Um, in 2014, the position of opposition for Mars was the date of like April 8th, something like that. So it's two years ago and like a month and a half. Oh, in the past, okay. right? Yeah. But now, two years ago and a month and a half into the future, we're able to see uh, Mars at opposition and in retrograde again, but now in Scorpio. So it's moved from, I guess, what must have been Virgo at the time? Yeah. Perhaps, probably something like Virgo so. back in April of, uh, of 2014 when it was up and visible and in retrograde and opposition. Now it's moved over to Scorpio where it's doing that same cycle again. That is so interesting. So I'm wondering, maybe it's true, or we could predict uh, that in, now it's 2016, so 2018 in, what would it be, July? That's what it says, yeah. <laughs> is it, yeah? Yeah. Something like July, 2018 yeah. in July, then we're gonna see yep. uh, Mars go through another period of retrograde and opposition which is really cool and that'll that probably really be cool. i guess out in past sagittarius and into capricorn so that'll be like a late summer yeah or yeah i guess late summer yeah or like it goes into of august I yeah think. yeah um i was reading also that it'll be brighter really yeah interesting and that See, it's gonna be closer it there's a there's a strange part of this where our orbits and the solar system are not circular. Yeah. They're elliptical. It's really strange. I was trying, I forgot about that yeah. kind of, I was trying to figure out how that worked. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we'll just, that's where we'll be on the shape. Yeah. So so, I, so there is a, a significant difference between, you know, the the closest part it can be 
and the cycle where it's, you know, the furthest close pass that we can have. Right. That's why I think if I remember right, that, that 2003, 2004 viewing of it, I shoot, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. I think it must be 2004 probably. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me that it would have been that year. I was trying to remember. I was pretty young, um, but I remember watching it and I remember them saying that that would be the brightest viewing of Mars that we would have for a number of years. Um, and it was, it was pretty cool. It was interesting to, you know, get to see it and look out at the night. But it, I think that was, yeah, the brightest and closest that it was going to be for a really long time is That's what they had cool. said. I think effectively right now, it's about as bright as it could be. I think they said that the maximum magnitude that we could observe Mars at is a negative three magnitude. I think Venus gets to a negative four magnitude at some times, uh -huh. but, and here's the, here's a, a thing about it is that Venus will never be at opposition to us. We'll never be able oh, to see right. Venus rise in the dark sky and then stay up through midnight and 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. through that really dark part of the night and have it rise overhead to a zenith point. Right. We're always going to see Venus really quite low to the horizon chasing the sun after twilight it's, or in the morning. Yeah, because it's between us. Because it's between us, closer to the sun. And so we can see it at a brighter position maybe, but we're also going to see it uh, in the twilight zone of the night sky, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that 20 or 30 degrees above the horizon in the west uh, or the western sky, or if it were the morning, 20 or 30 degrees, you know, above the horizon line um, in the morning, which is pretty cool. It is cool. It's interesting how it is, but it's a little different though. So it might look like Jupiter is really brighter or it might look like Mars is brighter, even though Venus can hit a higher um, objective magnitude. Yeah it will appear brighter to us because it's going to be such a dark surrounding sky. It's going to be so separate from the sun uh, coming up that we're not uh -huh. going to have any light pollution from the sun as it were in this case. Uh, and we just have really dark skies to get to see it. So it's kind of cool. It's cool getting to see Mars right now. It's really fun watching it the is. retrograde motion. Yeah. It's been really cool getting to watch it the last couple of months. Yeah. I had some dates about that. So it was like April 22nd this year. Yeah. that it started its retrograde motion. And you and I remember watching it when it was really getting quite close to Saturn there for a while. And so yeah, uh, like really when we were close. making those telescope observations of uh, like when we looked at Saturn uh, yeah. and the rings at one time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so Mars true. was really just right over from it for a while. And now that it's in that retrograde motion, it's pushing backward. It's pushing westward in the sky, out, going back outside of Scorpio and in the Libra. And I think now it's technically in the position of Libra. Libra is a weird constellation. Thank goodness we're Scorpios or Scorpiuses. <laughs> Ugh, what a dumb name. I don't care about the International Astronomical Union stuff about that. I know it is Scorpio and it's, it's a much better constellation is. is what I'm getting at than Libra. Libra is like four stars that aren't named. There's one of them that's named. I don't remember what it is because it's like a third, <laughs> it's a second or third magnitude yeah. thing. They needed something there yeah. uh, to, to kind of, I don't know, select out what, what's going on in the sky. But, uh, but yeah, so Mars is in, it's past Alniot. I think it's Deshuba. It was really close oh, to Deshuba okay. last week, that one of those um, front stars in Scorpio. And it's moved past Deshuba and then out into Libra now. It's going to continue doing that motion uh, through the rest of the month this retrograde motion, it's going to be pushing out further into Libra up until, I guess, 
was it or you had said yeah june 30th is that right yeah somewhere around june 30th july 1st and that period that's when mars ends its retrograde motion and it returns to prograde motion and then starts transiting backward through the constellations in a similar way that the sun does i think that's what it means retrograde versus prograde so how do we say this so if we're thinking about the constellations and the zodiac signs let's say we have we have virgo in september we have libra in october we have scorpio in november and sagittarius in december right that's the path that the sun is moving through in the sky and the path the sun is moving in prograde motion let's say and so this retrograde motion is as the planets are moving along that same path as mars moves through virgo and then into libra and then into Scorpio, it should move on in prograde motion like the sun into Sagittarius. The retrograde, the term retrograde comes for when it moves in a reverse motion against the path that the sun would take and goes westward across the sky, transits from Scorpio back into Libra like it's doing right now. And then it'll kick back into prograde and continue on out into Sagittarius, I think by end of August, something like that. It's going to be cool to watch. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of motion that it does um, over the next couple of months. I think it's going to be, you know, pretty cool to see. I think, um, what is it, like August? It looks like August 15th or 20th or so. There's going to be a cool alignment between Mars, Saturn, and Antares in Scorpio. Oh, yeah. I think that I had uh, read about that a little bit. Yeah, it seems like it's going to happen. That's that's my guess. Or it seems like it's about that time. Um, because currently, right now, uh, Saturn is in retrograde. And so it's moving back in its orbit also. But really, its motion is, is much more subdued. So it's going to stay. Its whole retrograde path is really just a few degrees over the next several months right. in the constellation of Scorpio. So right now, I think Saturn is a little bit closer toward the tail end of Scorpio. And it's going to move a little closer up to the heart of Scorpio to Antares. Right. And then it'll drop backward and then move into Sagittarius. I don't know, maybe sometime next year or by the end of the year. But we're going to watch uh, Mars, which is in Libra now, drop out of retrograde and then move now back toward Saturn and Antares. Um, and we're going to see that all happen in the next 60 days or so. So it'll be cool to see. It would be cool to see. Uh, I had a question. Yeah. So we have the cycle for Mars that's happening every two years. Yeah. Uh, is it two years for Saturn also, or is that on a, a different oh, schedule? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. So it is different for Saturn. And it's different for Jupiter and Venus and Mercury. And I think it's all, distances. it's all based on their orbital path, their motion, or... Um, when they come into opposition to us. So um, how would that be? I think that we're, we're so similar. Or we're on that two-year pattern with Mars. Uh-huh. Uh, I think because it's, it's just the next planet out from us. It has a, sure. a similar year for us. Like it's, it's time to rotate or, or to revolve. To make a revolution around the sun is somewhere around 400 days. Like four hundred and five oh, okay. days, something like that. That's so it's really it's a small increase percentage wise above what the Earth is. Now for Jupiter, it's like twelve years. For I... for uh, Saturn, it's twenty nine years, I think. For Venus, it's like eighty days. 
for Mercury, it's like 75 days. So there's sort of these different pieces that are going to be part of the puzzle. Now, the other part of the puzzle is the position of the earth in that, in that relationship too. So for retrograde to occur, like what we're seeing with Mars and why that occurs every two years for us is because, um, as we move around the sun, what's happening is, is like if we were pulling up to Mars at a stoplight. So Mars is out there. And since we're an interior planet from Mars, we're closer. That means that we spin around faster around the sun. And, and we, you know, we have a 365 day orbit as like a 400 something day orbit. So I guess it's kind of obvious from that. And so what's happening is as the earth is behind in the orbit, let's say further, further back and Mars is ahead in the circular motion around the sun that we're going to make, the earth is going to pull up right up against Mars. And then it's going to outpace Mars through its path and then move away from it. And so what we're seeing is as we approach Mars, as we get closer and closer, and then as both bodies are moving through the sky, that's what causes this, this observed effect of Mars moving in a retrograde motion back uh, westward in the sky against right. the constellations behind it. I think that's because as time passes through us in the year, and how would I say, like a month ago, Libra would have been in opposition, but now since it's a month later, Scorpio is going to be in opposition. Um, and so, so that's why, so as we've moved further over, we're going to be looking back at Mars. Like if we were looking back at a car that we passed right. on the road and that's why it's moving back a little bit. And then it starts to move forward in uh, prograde motion. It's so strange to try and explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's, fun though. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting concept to try to vis visualize. Oh, and then explain. But that cycle happens every two years, basically yeah. every two years and a month and a half or, or whatever it ends up being. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there are, there are periods where Mars does not get this bright. It will not be this bright in, or it will be more bright in two and a half years. Right. I think that's what I had read. Yeah. I think closer. you're right. Now I've seen in other years where it's really been much dimmer and doing its prograde motion, but it's really been, uh -huh. you know, just a small red dot in the sky. Sure. It's really interesting how it is. Or if, uh, in let's say like a year it gets swung out, um, you know, to the far side from us or it's, it's still you know on it's still in the night sky it's still on the far side from the sun from us but it'll it'll really be quite farther away and uh, it'll look really small and dim sometimes mars is one of the most variable planets as i consider it um i guess saturn too but for as bright as it, as it is right now it can really be just one of the dimmest little points in the sky pretty yeah. insignificant and small yeah, it's this is the brightest I really remember seeing it. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I sense. remember the two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, I'm sure I saw, I'm sure that I did see it. I'm sure that I would have observed it, but I don't really remember it that well. Yeah, I'm but not sure. This is definitely the brightest I recall seeing it in the last few years, it's and been I a while. I definitely have noticed it being a lot dimmer. So there is a lot of variation in that. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of variation and you know, there's another part of it too, that I'm not really uh, understanding completely. I, it seems like if I remember right back in, back in like 2003, 2004, that that's, or maybe it was 2002, man, that must've been a long time ago. I was trying to remember the last time that Mars was, well, that's not right either. I was trying to remember the last time that Mars was in Scorpio 
during its retrograde or during its really bright passing to us. And there seems to be some kind of cycle to that too, yeah. which I don't really understand. But if I remember right, that, that bright passing that happened in, um, in 2004 was in those summer constellations. It was in yeah. Scorpio or Sagittarius right in there. Maybe it was in Capricorn by that point, but, um, but I remember it being in, in Scorpio, like for a whole summer, just being really bright and present, um, you know, just dead center in Scorpio, kind of similar to where it is right now. But that was maybe a decade ago, maybe 12 years yeah. ago. It's been in that position since that time, but it's like we're talking about been dimmer or it's been, you know, just at some other point in its cycle that we're yeah. going through. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see these sort of specific things repeat themselves many years apart yeah. from each other. Yeah. It's really cool. It's strange how it is. Yeah, it, it's yeah, bad. it is pretty cool. But yeah, we had a great time uh, being out in Heart Mountain uh, in that Antelope Refuge area in Eastern Oregon, kind of near the Nevada border uh, where there's really nothing out there. That's where you can be 100 miles in every direction from a real town or a real light source that's going to be um, you know, any issue for you, but it was really cool. Yeah. Looking out and just seeing like one light or two lights. I think it was like 80 or 90 miles away in French Glen. That's, oh, yeah. that's everything you could see out there. Um, so it's pretty fun. It was cool being out and, uh, and cool getting to do some observations of Mars while I was at its brightest point in retrograde. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I'm so happy that we got to be out somewhere with a really good sky to oh, observe yeah. it while it's at its brightest. Yeah. You could see it in town, but it's really, it's different when you get to see. It is different. It. Yeah. It's, it's really quite a show like out in the dark. Yeah. It's in, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying doing that. Yeah. More it was really fun. Doing the observation side of it is definitely the best part of it. It was cool pulling out the telescope for a while. Yeah. I'm glad we brought it with us. Looking at Mars through a telescope. It's not that rewarding though. I think no, we need a much bigger telescope yeah i think when we were looking through it i was thinking it seemed about as bright when i was just looking at it yeah with my eyes. that's really true that's <laughs> what happens so when you right look now. at stars too unless yeah. it's like a feature or like a cluster or something yeah that's what i noticed i think like saturn was really cool to look at with a telescope because you can see its rings yeah yeah and jupiter yeah there's something really observable cool about at. it yeah you can see the moon yeah the moons are great to see you that's see really fun banding yeah yeah, you, you can make out more moons on Saturn, too, if you have, a I think, a better telescope oh, than what we're really looking cool. at. Yeah, you can see Titan, and you can see, oh, shoot, a few others. I think you can see, like, I think you can see five moons around Saturn. Wow, that would be so cool. I want to upgrade our telescopes. So we got to do it, yeah. That. We got to get, uh, like, a six-inch refractor, something yeah. like that. I think that's when you can, that's when you can start making out better things on Mars too, like the ice caps. You're supposed oh, to be able cool. to see that. Yeah. If you look at, it, you're supposed to be able to make out sort of the white top of the planet, which we're really not quite able to do. We're not able to make clear details out <laughs> through what we're looking at. Yeah. Not we're just, quite. Hey, look, it's red. It's a little, little toy telescope. Yeah. <laughs> a little toy. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's been pretty cool to, to use or to, to it's really make fun. some observations yeah, with. It's been fun. It's a good it. camping telescope. It's a great I'll throw it in the back of the telescope. truck. Yeah. I want something that I can do that with. Yeah. But it's cool. We got to see uh, a lot of stuff out there this weekend. Watch the International Space Station go by. Oh, that's fun to see. That's right. Have you seen that it many times really before? Bright. I think only a couple of other times. Really. Yeah. Yeah, it's That's cool. That's the brightest I've seen it and the longest I've seen it, I think. Yeah, you know, it was cool catching. I think even that second night we caught a view 
of the International Space Station going over oh, almost the same path. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of cool. It's interesting how it goes. I'm not really sure that the pathway or the um, the timing of it, you know, in its orbit or like when it when it's supposed to pass by every night um, or what location, but really that's what you can tell. You can tell the difference between the International Space Station and other satellites just because of its motion and its pattern, where it's coming from. Most satellites, almost every communication satellite that we're going to see in the Northwest here or over North America is going to be a North to South based satellite or a South to North based satellite. It's going to be happening, uh, I don't know, just kind of a little bit east of the zenith point in the sky. That's where you're going to see most things, but you really won't see that many objects um, do a strange transit, uh, like something from the Southwest to the Northeast, or sometimes you'll see it from, from the Northwest to the Northeast. You'll see it kind of move in all sorts of different directions. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting thing about it, but that's, that's the kind of the, the key feature that, and that it's significantly brighter and more sustained than right. other satellite objects that we're going to observe. The other satellites, like we might see, I think we also saw flare as they pass that oh, bright yeah. spot in the sun. So they get really bright. They get as bright as the International Space Station, but then they die off right. or they get a lot dimmer. And that's as they fall out of the sunlight, out of the twilight point there, and then back into the night where there's no reflection to kick off of the, uh, the solar panels that it has to make a real bright mirrored look in the sky. It's kind of cool though. It's interesting to see and to sort of figure out like, oh, that weird anomaly that we see is for this reason. It's kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun observing that too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess we'll be back sometime this next week with a bunch of news about Saturn and its opposition that's coming up uh, and the obser observations that we can make of the rings. We should talk about that tilt pattern too. Oh, yeah. The, the times, yeah, through the decade that we're more able to see the rings versus times when we're more on a flat plane with the rings and we're not able to see them. An interesting effect, but we should talk about that coming up on the next episode of the Night Sky Podcast. But hopefully, hopefully you guys are enjoying a few of the things that we've been talking about on the Night Sky Podcast. If you have any suggestions for us, uh, please shoot us a comment. Night, the website's nightsky.io. Um, if you want to subscribe, please go ahead and do that. Leave us a review if you'd like to. Um, I think, um, shoot, I think that's just about everything, right? You can so. follow me on Twitter uh, at Billy Newman. Marina, what's your Twitter, Twitter handle? Or uh, Instagram or whatever? Uh, Marina Rose Alice, I think. That'd be cool. Yeah, we should put that sort of stuff in the podcast that we do too. But on behalf of Marina Hansen, my name is Billy Newman and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. <laughs>